Before we start, I just wanted to mention that we lost a really beautiful bodhisattva from the world today. Well, at least from the living, from the world of the living, Pete Seeger, who was 94 years old. And uh, it's kind of thrown me back on my hippie days, you know, and how fortunate some of us were to live in that time when there was a surge of um, hope for the world, for peace, and for um, goodwill. So I just li- I wanted to mention him before we started to sit, just so that for those of you who remember his work and remember all of the ways in which he decided, he, he often said that he had originally wanted to be a hermit, that that was his real interest in life. And his friend said to him, well, that's really great. You know, you can go and be a hermit and live a really pure life and leave the rest of us in a mess, right? And he decided to see what he could do to help. What a wonderful thing. So in his honor, I'd like to just invite you tonight as we sit, to reflect on your own intention. So if any of you have practiced in the Mahayana tradition, you know there's this ideal of bodhisattva, who is someone who decides to give up uh, the bliss of nirvana, to stay in this world of samsara, to help every single being come to freedom and perhaps that's not where you're coming from and that's okay but to just reflect on the fact that we're not in this life by ourselves that we're very much together on this very small planet and what it means to live a life of purity not just for ourselves alone, but for the good of the whole planet, for the good of all beings that are on this planet. To live in generosity, in kindness, with patience, with wisdom, wholeheartedness, compassion and wisdom and that our practice then is not so much to shrink from the world but really to enter it in that way to enter it into a wholehearted full way with a deep a profound understanding and appreciation of our connection that we're not in this thing by ourselves. We're in it all together. And that our practice, therefore, contributes not just to our own happiness, but to the happiness of all beings everywhere, without exception. So let's sit together.
So we'll spend the next 10 minutes however you would like, whether you'd like to do some walking meditation, if there's a little bit of space there, or stretch your body, or do some standing meditation, however you'd like to do it. If we could stay in silence, that would be lovely. Thank you. So continuing on the theme of Pete Seeger, as you know, when I teach on Tuesday nights, I, as some of you may know, maybe all of you don't know, um, I like to, instead of giving a talk, uh, invite you to ask questions that contribute to um, creating a talk, to, a Dharma talk together, so we can reflect together on whatever is on your mind. But before I do that tonight, I wanted to do a couple of things. One is um, to just bow to the um, existence of New York Insight, the fact that uh, we are here in this beautiful hall together is as a result of the labors, the thoughtfulness, the dedication and, and um, love of the Dharma of many people and if coming here and practicing together with this Sangha, this community and listening to the teachings uh, 
is of benefit to you and moves you, it's our hope that you will be moved to support us so that these teachings can continue and be offered on these uh, sitting nights freely. So your support for uh, the place and for the teachers um, helps us to continue to offer, uh, offer these teachings and this practice in this way. So we're very grateful for your generosity in, and your um, open-heartedness in supporting us. So I wanted to just continue with my homage to Pete Seeger tonight. Um, and I'm going to play something for you, actually, if I can find it. So you may have heard this before, but it's just three minutes, so indulge me. And a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to reap, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh, a time to eat. To everything, turn, 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 there is a season, turn, 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 and a time for every purpose under heaven a time to build up a time to break down a time to dance a time to mourn a time to cast away stones a time to gather stones together to everything turn 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 there is a season turn 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 and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time of love, a time of hate, a time of war, a time of peace, a time... Sorry. ...you may embrace. <laughs> A time to refrain from embracing to everything. Turn, turn, turn. There is a season. Turn, turn, turn. And a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to gain, a time to lose, a time to rend, a time to sow. A time of love, a time of hate, a time of peace. I swear it's not too late. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. And a time to every purpose under heaven. To everything. Turn, 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 turn,
pretty good, huh? <laughs> so this is from Maya Angelou. It's called When Great Trees Fall. When great trees fall, rocks on distant hills shudder. Lions hunker down in tall grasses, and even elephants lumber after safety. When great trees fall in forests, small things recoil into silence, their senses eroded beyond fear. When great souls die, the air around us becomes light, rare, sterile. We breathe briefly. Our eyes briefly see with a hurtful clarity. Our memory, suddenly sharpened, examines, gnaws unkind words unsaid, promised walks never taken. Great souls die and our reality, bound to them, takes leave of us. Our souls, dependent upon their nurture, now shrink, wizened. Our minds, formed and informed by their radiance, fall away. We are not so much maddened as reduced to the unutterable ignorance of dark, cold caves. And when great souls die, after a period, peace blooms slowly and always irregularly. Spaces fill with a kind of soothing electric vibration. Our senses restored, never to be the same, whisper to us. They existed. They existed. We can be. Be and be better. For they existed. So I'm going to lighten it up a little bit. <laughs> so here's my memory of Pete Seeker. I have two memories. The first one is 1973, when I was graduating from Barnard College. And they said, and we, they asked us to vote on um, a commencement speaker. And of course it was 1973, and so Pete Seeger was one of our choices, and so he was the one that we all cho chose. And of course, what we expected was for him to come and sing things like, if I had a hammer, and you know, things like that. And he came and he sat down with his banjo and he sang the following song. Garbage, 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 garbage. Garbage, and just like, turn, 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 everybody started singing it. <laughs> and that's it. That was his entire commencement speech. <laughs> now, 
1973, you know, Earth Day had started and all of that, but it wasn't very fashionable to be concerned about the environment. And then fast forward into the 2000s and I was on retreat in California when war broke out against Iraq. And uh, so I didn't know until I came out of retreat and I was in retreat for a month and when I came out I heard that war had been declared and I just got wind of this little news clip that essentially said that Pete Seeger, Pete Seeger's response to the war was to take out a piece of cardboard and write the word peace on it and stand on his on a street corner in Beacon, New York. So I went to that street corner with my own cardboard sign and I stood there with him for a, for a day. And we hardly spoke a word. And it was one of the most holy days I have ever spent in my life. So I remember him deeply, not only for his work uh, with respect to peace, but his work in the civil rights movement when he felt what he could offer were his songs. And then he offered them wholeheartedly and fully. And he offered his songs to the world so that we could be better people, so that we could be a better world, so that we could love each other more deeply and remember to do so. He was constantly reminding us that we could love each other deeply. So I hope that um, if his life touched you at all, if his work touched you at all, that you will remember that, that that's what he most dearly wished for, was for our world to come together in love and peace and harmony, and that you will carry that with you. It's a very deep and precious and necessary gift that you can give. So, please, if you have questions or comments, I'm happy to hear them. Um, I uh, actually have a question about practice. Uh, for most of last week, I was laid up with a severely sprained ankle, mm-hmm. and uh, I had to keep my leg elevated. And so I, I was pretty much confined to the bed. I couldn't make my way over to this chair, but at the same time, again, I would have to keep my leg elevated, and it put a lot of undue pressure on my leg, and I really wanted to practice. But really, the only option for me was the bed. The way that the bed was arranged, I couldn't um, sit. I couldn't. Um, I couldn't lay down with a straight back. And when I did lay down, my appendix off. Um, you, I, what happened when you lay down? My appendix dozed off oh. while, I, while I was meditating. But I did the best I could. Um, but do you have any um, recommendations if you know, I ever wind up in that situation? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you don't. But if you mean for lying down meditation? If that's the only option. Yeah. So that's what, you know, the Buddha said we have four postures in which to meditate, right? Standing, walking, sitting, and lying down. We don't teach lying down an awful lot, mainly because it's a big hazard, the sleep business, right? <laughs> but there are ways that you can actually um, 
keep awake. One is to keep your eyes open. The second is that when you're lying down, you put your finger up in the air. And when it starts to do that, <laughs> you know that, it's, that you need to put a little bit more energy into your practice, and it actually works. And you can also do a um, body scan. That's really helpful to do body scan when you're lying down. Um, but to do it in a way that's not superficial, but to actually, so you start at your, big, your right big toe and you actually place your attention on your right big toe and you feel every single sensation in that right big toe and then you go to the next toe and then 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 you come up to the uh, pad, the front pad of the foot and you feel the sensations there and then the instep and then the heel and then the Achilles tendon and then up into the ankle and then to the calf and then you know all the way up the leg and then you start on the left leg or vice versa however you want to um, and you do it so that every single part of the body that you go to you actually pay, pay deep attention to the sensations in that part of the body and some people add um, gratitude so, for instance, when your, your ankle is really hurting and sore, just, imagine, just realize all the years that you've lived with your ankle and never paid any attention to it, right? And just took it for granted that it was okay. I love Thich Nhat Hanh's injunction to us or exhortation to us to um, pay attention to no toothache. Right? That we don't have a toothache right now. And so when, some, when you do get an injury, to reflect on the gratitude you have for that, for the, for, you know, the 99.99% of the time when that part of your body is absolutely fine. And then when it heals, to not take it for granted anymore, but to really um, take care of it and love it and not feel aversion to it while it's not feeling well because that doesn't help it you know but give it a tremendous amount of loving kindness that's another thing you can do is you can um, as you're doing your body scan you can do it with loving kindness so you can um, do metta for every single part of your body so when you go to your big toe may you be really healthy, may you feel fine, may you be happy, may you be at ease, may you be at peace, may you be safe, may you be healthy, so that the meditation becomes active and it's, you know, so that you don't fall into the ooze, which you can do sitting up too, I mean, you know, anybody here not fall into the ooze? Not ever experienced the ooze. Right. But um, is there is there a requirement with the back um, <coughs> if you can't keep your back round while it's not round while it's straight, but in a bright posture? <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, you know, good enough is a great standard. 
And again, do it with compassion, right? So if you can't have a straight back, again, appreciate all the times when you were able to have a straight back, right? And then never forget that time when you couldn't have a straight back so that you can remember to be grateful for your health, which is, you know, a gift. How's your ankle? Oh, lovely, huh? Oh, beautiful. Well, thanks for coming tonight. May it be well. Besides what? Besides joining a convent. I'm joining a convent. Sorry, I won't do it. Huh? I I, I won't join a convent. You won't join a convent. Okay. And? And Was there a question? I'm wondering what your thoughts were on right livelihood in regards to picking a new profession or Like what? I moved from wholesale textiles to now trying to, to work as a freelancer. To, uh, to work as a, work as a freelancer. A freelancer. As a graphic designer. And I'm trying to find the right question because I'm not really sure what mm. my question is. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful thing to be looking for the question rather than to be looking for the answer. It is. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, right? Because so much of the time we so, we're so sure of the question, and much of the time the question we're asking is absolutely not the right question, right? So, uh, uh, you know, I don't have the question for you, just like I don't have the answer for you. <laughs> but seriously, I think it's a really beautiful thing as Rilke, you know, the, the letters to a young poet, and, you know, he talks, he says to the, to the young poet, whose name I forget, anybody remember it? Um, he's, but he says, you know, to be sure to live the questions fully, so that the, to be in question about what 
would serve yourself, of course, because you have to make a living and um, put food on the table and have a roof over your head and clothing to wear. And at the same time, to recognize one's um, connection, connectedness to the world and the, uh, to have the profound understanding of interconnectedness that whatever we do does affect the whole net of humanity and to, to want to serve that in a way that is skillful is a beautiful aspiration and then to wonder what question you should ask yourself with respect to that is a beautiful question. And, you know, it's not as if uh, in our lives we get the answer and then that's, that's it, right? The answers are always changing. And they're always changing according to the exigencies of the situation. So that we don't get stuck in some idea of how it is or how it should be, but we're willing to be in the midst of life. You know, in that song that I played, I, I love that song because obviously it's, it's partly from Ecclesiastes, right? Which says there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to grieve and a time, to, um, a, a time for joy and a time for grief and all of that and time to dance and time to weep and a time to laugh and is the is it aligns perfectly with the Buddha's teaching on the uh, eight worldly winds. That these winds are always passing through our lives. They're always blowing through. Pain and pleasure, gain and loss, praise and blame, fame and disrepute. And at any one moment in time, you could be praised or you could be blamed, right? Or you could be in gain or you could be in loss. And it's not so much the what, but the how. How do we relate to that? How are we when we are in that period of loss? How are we when we're in the period of gain? It's not like, you know, when things are going well, we're good. And when things are not going well, we're not good, right? The, the, um, the purpose of practice is not to manipulate the external world so much as it is to cultivate an inner life that is able to work with whatever is happening externally. So in the Sutta on Mindfulness, the Buddha says uh, 12 times, be mindful internally, be mindful externally, and be mindful internally and externally, which I take to mean be mindful of the relationship between the two. What happens internally affects what happens externally. And what is happening externally affects how we are internally, how we're going to respond internally. So if we're making a life decision, and you know, and we, and we may think it's a life decision, but it may only last for two years, right? You may choose a career that's perfect for now, and in two years, it turns out it's not the, the perfect career. Are you going to bemoan that and say, oh, I made the wrong decision two years ago? No, you made the right decision based on the circumstances. So rather than thinking, I've got to come up with an answer and figure it out, 
It's more of what's the question given the circumstances, right? And if we can figure out what the question is given the circumstances, then we have some, um, you know, pretty good guess (laughs) of what to do, right? And how many of us are perfectionists? In recovery. (laughs) Thank you. Right? Oh, I, oh, come on, more than that. More than, you know, I don't believe you. I think more of you are perfectionists, you know. And so there's this, and, and there, there, you know, so we think that we need to make the perfect decision. And, you know, I, I'm going through a period in my life now where I have a big decision that I have to make, and I'm just watching how every day, what the right decision is changes, right? And can I live with that? And can I live with the instability of that? And can I live with the uncertainty of that? And be satisfied in each moment, oh, right now this is okay. Right now this is what I need to do, right? And I make a decision and then it has to change because something changes. It's okay. I don't then beat my breast and chest and say, oh, you know, I made the wrong decision. I should have done something else. No, it's things change. Everything changes. So can you, can you be with that? Can you be with the uncertainty of it? Can you be with the instability of it? Can you be with the excitement of it? Can you be with the opportunity of it? Can you be with the, um, the wisdom of it? Can you see how you've changed in the sense that your practice may have brought you to a place where the questions you're asking now are very different than the questions you would, you would have asked five years or ten years ago? And can you have some joy in the beauty of that? Right? Because what happens is we get so focused on the decision and the what and what am I going to do and what am I going to do and the mind starts to like, you know, just run with that that we miss the whole landscape in which we're walking. And it's beautiful, right? Whether it's a white, snowy, you know, winter, cold, frozen landscape or spring flowers and showers, it's all beautiful. But, you know, because we tend to prefer one over the other or want one over the other. We think this one's beautiful and that one's ugly. So it's beautiful when I'm in certainty about what I want to do and ugly or difficult or agitating or upsetting when I'm not certain about what I want to do. And yet there's beauty in the uncertainty too. Right? And, and it's painful also. Because we want certainty, we want a direction, we want a way to go. So can you be with the beauty and the pain and whatever else you're feeling, the isolation or the loneliness or the excitement or the fear or the trepidation or the anxiety or the nervousness or the concern or what, you know, all of, all of that. Can you be in that landscape fully? and live it fully, so that the question becomes a kind of um, throbbing 
blood running through your veins rather than some cold, dry issue or problem about what am I going to do, right? So be warm-blooded about it. You're welcome. I'd love to hear what you decide later. Could you pass the mic down this way? Um, I was thinking about problems that I guess many of us are aware of, that I am aware of myself, when, thought, when troubling thoughts occur. Troubling thoughts. Troubling thoughts. You've asked That's me a, this question before, haven't you? Could be, but I was thinking about the kind of response you gave, and I was thinking of a response to troubling thoughts in the a, in a same sense, and I, perhaps you could expand that a little bit. The thought occurred to me of if I'm having a feeling of jealousy or a feeling of judgment, being too judgmental, judgmental about something in my life, and I have an awareness of it, I was thinking of being aware of a sore ankle or something physical, but now this is something that's troubling emotionally, something that's in my mind that's causing me unrest or feeling difficult feelings to deal with. And I was thinking of the idea of having kind of that loving response to the ankle that you suggested, and some, something being aware of the times, you know, I was just thinking of the kind of response you gave there, and how something in that vein might be helpful in thinking, of being a, using our awareness to, to be, because I think that's where mindfulness takes us, an awareness of, hey, that's, that's the judgment, judgment stuff coming up again. That's, feel, that's a feeling of, of uh, jealousy or whatever it is. And so I was just thinking of a kind of similar response that you might suggest in that regard. See, you've got the answer yourself. <laughs> so, so you know the four foundations of mindfulness, right? Do you know what they are? Okay, so the four foundations of mindfulness, the way the four ways of establishing mindfulness, right? Is being mindful first of the body. Right? So that would fall under Kyle Kyle's ankle would fall under that. The second is being aware of feelings. Now feelings of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Right? So when when a cool breeze hits our face and we like that cool breeze, there's a pleasant sensation. Or, um, or when there's music playing and we want to meditate, we're hearing, right, loud music and we think, it, you know, that shouldn't be, right? And it's unpleasant, so it be, it's an unpleasant feeling. So we go out to disturb the sound and then it becomes unpleasant to us, right? So we're aware of pleasant and unpleasant and neutral when it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And the third is uh, um, mindfulness of the mind. So that would comprise thoughts and emotions. And then the, the fourth is, you, you'll hear expresses mindfulness of dharmas, right? So they're ways of um, of 
being mindful of experience according to the Four Noble Truths and the Five Aggregates and the Six Sense Bases and the Seven Factors of Awakening and the Five Hindrances. And I, I think that's pretty much it. So it's, so it's a way of um, uh, understanding our, being mindful of our experience through the lens of the Dharma. So those are the four ways that we can establish mindfulness. Now, what does that say to us? So what it says is that sensation in the body, which is what Kyle was experiencing, is we can be mindful of that. Just as we can be mindful of, of sensations in the body, we can be mindful of thoughts. So, if you're, so that's the third foundation. So if, you're, um, so if you're having thoughts of judgment or whatever thoughts you feel are thoughts that uh, are unpleasant, you can be mindful of them in exactly the same way that you're mindful of the body. So if you're having painful sensations in the ankle, instead of saying, oh, I'm in pain, this is terrible, I wish it would go away, I hate this, instead, practicing, we turn our attention to the sensations. So what do we find there? We find... Kyle, what did you find there? Burning, uh, stabbing, throbbing, uh, cold, heat, uh, tingling, whatever, un and probably mostly unpleasant sensations. So you can be aware of that. You can be mindful of that. You can know what that feels like right now in this moment, not as an abstract idea, but actually as your experience, so that you're mindful of your experience. So, in, so that's that feels like it may be easier to do than to actually be mindful of our thoughts. Yes? Why is that, do you think? Well, we, we, it's kind of a thought sometimes think, that, think that's who we really are. Thank you. Yes. So why wouldn't you think your ankle is who you really are? It's your ankle. It's not ah. just part Okay, so why do you think the mind is who you are, but your ankle is just part of you? That's who told you that? So did they tell you that in biology? That's something that, that's something that I, I think we all kind of... So, we produce, so, the mind produces, so the mind produces a thought, and we think that's, oh, that's right, because the mind has produced it. So how many people have never had the mind set you in the wrong direction. <laughs> Nobody. Wow. Right? So, so already you know that the mind can just, it, you know, it, it excretes thoughts. A friend of mine calls it excreta. You know, our thoughts are excreta of the mind. Right? So the mind excretes thoughts in the same way that the pores excrete sweat. But we wouldn't think sweat is who we are. Right? So, but the, the, the thoughts feel really real and they feel really true and they feel like this is what I should do or this is, yes, this is, yes, that's what I should believe and yes, I hate that person. Yeah, they didn't do it right and they right? So that's one way of dealing with our thoughts is like just getting caught in them and identified with them. But the Buddha recommends this whole other way of establishing mindfulness by turning to the thought and actually knowing it. But how do we know the thought? It's not 
by being caught in the content of it, but by understanding the process of thought. Do you understand the difference? So if I think a thought and I simply know, oh, this is thinking, it's really interesting what happens is the thought has exactly the same kind of journey that that burning, twisting sensation of the ankle had. It comes if we pay attention to it. If we don't pay attention to that burning, twisting sensation in the ankle, it feels like just one long three-hour experience, or however long it, it is. If we pay attention to it, what we notice is that, it's, that the burning, twisting, throbbing, pulsing sensations are coming and going. They're rising and they're falling. They're strong and they're weak. They have a kind of journey that, keep, you know, that, that comes and goes. And if we pay attention to thoughts in the same way, we begin to see how they have a journey too. And if you really pay attention, what you'll notice is something happens. There's a kind of in my mind anyway, maybe not in yours. But in my mind, paying attention, what I notice is there's a kind of impulse for a thought and a kind of blip, and it, it just arises full-blown. You know, oh, I hate that sound. And if I, and if I, if, if I simply notice that a thought has arisen, it passes. And at that point, I have a decision that I can either let it pass or I can bring it back and say, yeah, I really hate that sound. Why doesn't somebody call those people? They should stop. Don't they know we're meditating? What's wrong with them? This is what's wrong with New York. I hate New York. It's so loud. Everybody's so loud. What's wrong with people? Blah, blah. And who are those people over there? They're dancing. They should be with us meditating. <laughs> you know, we're so much better than they are, right? You know, we're having a much better time. They think it's a good, right? And I could have avoided that whole thing by just noticing the thought arise and pass away. And I don't get so caught up in being the righteous one, or whoever I am in that moment, right? I don't get caught up in it. I notice the righteousness, and I let that pass too, right? I notice the thought. I notice it's a thought. I notice that it's a thought that arises stays for a while and passes away unless I engage it. And then it, I don't take it so seriously anymore. So I, I can get very amused by my thoughts. Very amused. Oh, look at that. Wow. That's what you really think? Oh, boy. Thank God nobody saw that one. Right? <laughs> Woo! That was interesting. Right? And so I can spend a whole day just amusing myself, just, you know, just noticing my thoughts. And, and I don't take them so seriously as who I am. Right? So, yeah, it's exactly the same, in a way. It, but it's easier with the, the physical sensations, for some reason, don't feel as sticky as the thoughts do. You. You're welcome. Thank you for coming. Uh, this is my first time here. Oh, welcome. Uh, yesterday I was talking with a friend of mine and we were discussing 
reactions to things in a different way. And you were talking about them holding a sign with um, peace. Peter, um, and you were saying it was a sign of peace. And the young lady mentioned that there was an anti-war um, gathering on 24th Street. And I just so happened today to send a quote to my friend about uh, Mother Teresa and how she said that she wouldn't attend an anti-war rally, she, but if there were a peace rally, she would attend. So um, years ago, I, I saw that quote, and it really touched me. Because I think when you are progressive and you want to help change the world or change your neighborhood, you have to do it from a, a peaceful place, a place of love, because that's the best way to change things. But it's very hard sometimes not to get angry and to react in a negative way. So how would you, what would you say to my friend to change their thought? Your friend, I'm, I'm not sure who your friend, what did your friend do? I'm sorry? What did you say about your friend? I was saying that this friend, you know, has a, a way of approaching things that sometimes might it best be approached in a, in a different way. The intention is good, but the, 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 the method might be What do you say about that? So you, you want to change your friend? <laughs> As the case may be. <laughs> so do you always think progressively and positively? No, I don't. Ah. Okay. Well, that's... Yeah. So, you know, it's a really um, tricky place to want to change anybody. Right, and it you know it's part of our perfectionistic thing, right? That, and it's so amazing how we know what everybody else should do. Right, I know it, I can see exactly what everybody else needs to do. Right, and how difficult it it is for me to see sometimes what I need to do. And what I found is that when I actually express that opinion most of the time it's unwelcome, right? right? Mm -hmm. So the question is not so much um, whether we need to change our friends, but how do we embody peace ourselves? How do we embody it in such a way that people may become curious? about how you maintain it or sustain it. People may become curious about how you can sustain a peaceful life. And I've found that that can be a lot more effective than saying something to somebody. Because so much how we approach the world is complex. You know, the, base, the, the, the way we have formed habits of reactivity and negativity or positivity or whatever habits we formed 
have their roots in very complex um, sin, uh, complex complex complexes, and so um, I've found that there's really no magic formula that, and we all wish we had it, you know, for with our children, with our siblings, with our partners, that we just had a wand that would like, you know, just zap them, right, and just make them perfect. But I, these considerable number of years I've been living, I haven't ever been able to do that successfully. I've tried, but it's never succeeded. But what I, what has had some moderate um, effect on others is um, my ability to embody equanimity, my ability, my scant ability to be peaceful in the, um, in the midst of uh, difficulty or attack. Um, my um, determination to be kind even when others are not. Um, my absolute commitment to generosity no matter how scarce I'm feeling things are. So all of those principles, and we could go on, right? Um, all of those principles are practices. It's not as if we decide we're going to be generous and then voila, we are, or that we're not going to be negative anymore and voila, we are now just completely positive. But a kind of um, incremental, cumulative, beautiful um, growth in life that comes from setting an intention and acting on it. So we can set all kinds of intentions like make New Year's, New Year's resolutions, right? And then never do anything about them. And the next year say, darn, I should make that resolution again because nothing happened, right? But it's because we didn't act on it. So if we're acting on it, um, I just had someone say to me today, um, right before I walked in here, that I was, I've been in a very difficult situation with her. And um, she just said to me today, I've learned a whole lot from you and how you've dealt with this situation, right? And I didn't set out to make an example of myself or, you know, hope that she will change this way or that way, but that your consistency and constancy in being kind and loving and generous and compassionate and equanimous and and um, patient and determined and um, ethical and have you know an, a, a real commitment to all of those principles begins to color your life and everybody that you meet senses it they may not know what they're sensing but they know they're sensing something and that's something that you do from the inside out. It's not something that you kind of make a show of so that everybody knows you're this great ethical person or this, you know, or you take your money out and, you, you know, put it so that all can see. It's not that. 
It's that there's a quality that begins to grow in you that then shines. I, I met a couple of people today who are organic farmers who are committed to farming with um, horses rather than tractors and who are committed to kindness and um, just it's a, it, they have a beautiful community in uh, Colorado. And they walked into my house and I literally, the moment they walked in, I knew that there was something about them. I just knew it. They didn't, you know, and they weren't screaming it. They're, they're, they come from a Christian community of 130 families that are committed to all of these principles. And they were beautiful people. Beautiful people. Everything, they were gentle and kind and luminous. And they weren't screaming it at me. I, I kind of, you know, probed and said, where are you from and what are you doing and what's your background and all of that? And it all sort of came out, right? But if they'd walked in and given me pamphlets and sort of tried to convert me, I would have been totally turned off. Do you know what I mean? So, um, so that's, that's how I would work with my friend, right? And if you get an opportunity to say, oh, I think of it this way rather than that way, fine. But it's really how you are rather than what you say that will influence him or her. <laughs> You're welcome, Roxanne. So that's, I'm sorry, that's the last, that's all we have time for. So please join me in um, dedicating the merit of our practice tonight. So if you had a question and I didn't get to it, please feel free to come up afterwards. So when we come together in the way that we've come together tonight with this beautiful intention to open our hearts and our minds to practice presence in as deep a way as is possible for us, to understand our habits, how deeply rooted they are and in what they are rooted, and to follow through in action with our determination to purify our lives, not in a sense of um, perfectionism, but in a real intention to be of benefit to all beings. So we come together with these intentions and we do these practices with sincerity and in earnest And in doing so, we create a field of goodness, a field of beauty and joy, peace, loving kindness and compassion, wisdom and equanimity. And instead of holding all of those benefits for ourselves, we gather them together and we spread them out throughout the whole world. We scatter it to all of the corners of the earth into the universe above and below with the full intention and wish that these um, benefits be shared with all beings everywhere. And in loving kindness, we wish for 
the safety of all beings. We wish that all beings be happy and peaceful, healthy and strong, and live with ease. And we dedicate the merits of our practice to their benefit, welfare, happiness, well-being, and awakening. And if there are any beings in your life to which you would especially like to send these wishes, you may say their name out loud or silently right now and place them in the room. Marilyn. And all these beings that we hold in our hearts, we especially wish healing for those who are sick, food for those who are hungry, shelter for those who are homeless, comfort for those who are grieving, and peace to all those living in war-torn lands. May it be so. Thank you so much for your attention. Good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.